Thank you for listening to the Weekly Market Outlook. It is our pleasure to bring an industry-leading market analyst to provide you with the most value possible in your farm business. Please reach out anytime by emailing cbaron at agviewsolutions.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the AgView Pitch. We are heading into the heart of harvest and it's the 17th through the 21st market outlook. We've got Jared Creed with us. Jared, how's it going? Going good, Chris, as always. I appreciate the invitation. Yeah, it's great having you on. It's been a, a couple of weeks here. Mm-hmm. A lot of action going on. We were just talking offline. I'm not the only one tired on this podcast, right? <laughs> it's been a, uh, you know, we wrapped up beans this week and uh, dove right in the corn. So little, little tired here this morning, but that's all right. I'm uh, certainly not uh, crying about that because I know plenty of your listeners put in a heck of a lot more hours. Yeah, I feel like I have been too. I think I've been, I've got one of those aura rings, been watching my sleep and it's like, I didn't realize that, you know, I thought I was always, always used to think I was sleeping like six hours or whatever. And you realize you're only sleeping like four or five. It's like almost makes you more tired. But I think, uh, I think uh, harvest is underway. There's a ton going on, hearing some really good reports in some areas like like record upon record and some other areas not so good any um anything you're hearing that's notable um production wise on that side of the equation i think i could actually echo what you just said there but i'm going to emphasize that the areas that are good are really good the areas that are bad are much less than expected Mm-hmm. And a lot of those less than expected yields in the first place were already, um, you know, had already cut those expectations down quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like bean harvest for the most part is going to be wrapped up by at least in the next week uh, for the overwhelming majority of the Midwest. I think the bean yields, I don't think they have the variability per se that the corn crop is having. But I'm not too excited, really, about most bean yields. The top end for anybody and everybody is kind of, I'll call it a percent or two above APH, at least on the group of producers that I work with. Mm -hmm. But then if the floor dropped out, I mean, they completely bombed out from uh, Kansas, Nebraska, parts of Missouri. I mean, Missouri, just a little quick comment on that. I mean, talk about have and have nots individuals that are going to grow 250 bushel of corn and 75 to 80 bushel beans that they never ever gotten close to that in their life and you go 30 miles away and there's going to be individuals growing 100 bushel corn and 20 bushel beans Mm -hmm. well i think that's kind of the story in the have and have nots throughout the western corn belt Uh, i can't really speak that much for the eastern corn belt beyond hearsay um but I would say that uh, from all of the yield reports that continue to start floating through at this time of year, uh, it seems like they kind of do align pretty well with the recent USDA estimates near and dear to Iowa here. I would tell you that the yield reports that have been flowing in uh, looks to be that Iowa should be a 195 to 197 corn yielding state. USDA has them at 200 right now you wouldn't think that that's that big of a deal. Well, if it's 196, four bushel off uh, across 13 million acres, uh, that's darn near a bushel an acre nationally that we have further to cut. 
Where's so, the, where's the market at in relation to that? Uh, well, USDA is at 200 right now. Right. But as far as expectations of continued cuts to production, uh, I think uh, it's important to remember, again, the process that USDA uses, how those numbers are published over time. Um, it does seem to open the door to some rather sizable changes out in the January crop production report for both corn and soybeans, specifically with uh, USDA NAS stating that they will not make any acreage abandonment revisions until the January report. That's, you know, what's at the end of January, beginning of February, the Super Bowl, and oftentimes that's why you consider January the Super Bowl of USDA reports from both a, uh, an updated production and stocks report uh, alongside a acreage projected acreage report for 2023, also in the month of January. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, hey, one thing I forgot to do, we're going to take a commercial break right now. No, I'm just kidding, but I forgot to mention, Alyssa's like, uh, you're in big trouble if you don't mention the AgView Executive Business Conference. And we'll get right back to the markets here in a second, but since I forgot that, I'm going to bring it up right now. Jared, you're going to be one of the presenters at the conference talking risk management, um, you know, and, and marketing and just managing your business for profitability. Um, really excited to have you there. Um, what's your thoughts? You were at it last year. What do you think? You can get a very, very good group of producers together, Chris. <clears throat> so uh, I applaud you guys for that effort. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty, it's pretty amazing the conversations that can come out of a group of progressive producers that are willing to raise their hand and talk. Yeah. I've given a countless amount of meetings across the U.S. in the ag space, and maybe one out of uh, one out of ten meetings, you actually get to converse back and forth with individuals. Most of the time, people are too afraid to raise a hand, ask a question, whatever it may be. Uh, I, I like that, that it's your meetings. It's, it's always an open dialogue. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, it, it is it is for the executive-minded producer, for sure. It's it's not a it's not a typical, quote-unquote, conference. It's more a, of a, a, a business uh, mindset for, um, you know, a number of producers that can really dive into their business. And, and there's going to be quite a few workshops and just hands-on things and stuff. And and uh, really looking forward to everybody. Just again, that's January 25th through the 27th in St. Petersburg, Florida. So um, if you aren't booked, please get it, get get on there if you're planning on it, or at least get a hold of Alyssa and tell her to hold your spot. I know guys are busy as heck, and and uh, and we are getting. We had a, a ton of people registered last week uh, after we uh, talked with Joe Vaklovic, and so we will get full. But just want to make sure if those that keep listening all the time and and haven't yet done that. Um, we will get full, so please get that done if you can. So back to regular scheduled programming here. Um, Jared, I was going to ask you, too, you know, after the stocks report and in this last week market movements, talk a little bit about, you know, what the market's looking at and what we need to be paying attention to from the farm side of things. <clears throat> we've, we've talked about this before on your podcast. And I think it's time to reiterate it again. And I don't know if we could have as picture perfect as an example that we just had this week on the Sasawazi. Our carryouts are going to be incredibly hard to get any lower. 
We cut corn production. We cut bean production. We cut demand. And we're still floating right around the 200 million bushel carryout in beans and 1.2 billion bushel corn carryout. And I don't feel that we're going to be able to take those any lower, especially on that was on the heels of a stock cut in corn and a small increase in soybeans earlier this month. Or excuse me, I should say the very end of September. Given that we continue to see demand get cut as production and supply drops, that's your econ 101, right? You yeah. can't use what you don't have. And they are forecasting what our demand looks like throughout the end of the marketing year, which will end August 31st of 2023. The market seems to be content with the idea that our stocks or our carryouts are just not going to move much and it's going to bring all the onus back to the cash market. And I specifically remember we did talk about this conversation here probably two months ago of believing that we do have some upside in the market, but it is limited to an extent. That limited uh, upside move from the board is is probably the, the realistic example that our outside money and our outside money willing participation is just diminishing day by day, or it's just not coming back anytime soon. Markets are too volatile. The price to, the price to play is too expensive. Your big legacy traders that used to be trading a thousand contracts are maybe now trading a hundred. The guys that used to be trading 10,000 contracts, maybe now trading a thousand without that big volume in the marketplace. It's going to, it's going to put a little bit of a wet blanket on big moves, higher or lower. On one hand, I think it would be completely asinine for anybody to go out there and build a huge short in the commodity market based upon a very, very short fundamental supply and demand picture. But on the other hand, I got a very hard time thinking of how anybody's going to get paid being long a significant amount of $7 corn or $14 soybeans. You still have to get paid on that position. So that brings us right back to cash. We've seen the board move. I'm not suggesting that it can't still continue to go higher. Maybe in corn we can go up and close that gap somewhere in that 724 to 726 December contract area, but after that, it's all back to basis. And basis is probably the story right now, Chris. Mm-hmm. We've seen bean basis have a little bit of a swoon through the three-quarter mark of harvest, I would say, locally, and it's come roaring back. Plenty of Nebraska processors have jumped their basis by 50 cents in the last 48 hours. Uh, Western Iowa to the tune of 25 or 30 cents. Minnesota, 15, 20 cents. South Dakota, 10, 15, 20 cents. You got to get west of the Mississippi, and you're seeing all these interior basis values jump on soybeans. Corn is out. I mean, it's just <laughs> it's out in outer space by itself. Uh, there is real chatter of the potential ability of taking. Um, now I'm, I'm I'm working on this with producers that we work with. That there is a real possibility, Chris, that we're going to be able to ship corn from eastern Nebraska and western Iowa all the way down to southwest Kansas to Garden City. Get it picked hmm. up. Somebody's going to haul wheat back to a Lincoln-Omaha market, potentially. 
and take corn back. That does not happen. You right. do not see trains leave Illinois and go past Decatur, Illinois, and make their way to feed yards in southwest Kansas. It's not supposed to happen. The market has ways of figuring it out. So it's all driven on the cash market right now. Cash basis is still on fire in corn. Yeah, you have a few weaker places, probably just pinpointed around the areas that have a little bit of a larger crop. You've got the ones who are a little bit more willing to be patient to start upping their basis. And then you've got the majority that are paying big time over values just to get ownership of corn. Mm-hmm. And it's only going to get tougher to get ownership of corn over the next 30 to 60 days, in my opinion. Won't that same thing happen? I'm going to come back to corn. I'm going to hit beans for a second on this basis topic. So I think this is important. So, you know, you talked about, okay, generally speaking, soybean harvest kind of wrap up in a couple of weeks here. You know, you give it another week and the bend doors kind of close. Is that going to, you know, because there are the have and the have nots, and those have nots, it's like a big sucking sound, you know, in some in in some areas, and so that just gives strength to those areas, even where the yields were good, because that stuff's got to be distributed around. What's your thought, soybeans first, and I want to ask a specific question on corn, but what's your thought on the soybean basis? The the one trick to the soybean basis, I shouldn't say one, probably two. Obviously, we have the river issue. But secondly, you still have some of the rumblings around a potential railroad strike uh, in November. Uh, we obviously need to avoid that for multiple reasons. Um, but the bend door lock comment is very true. I think that the average U.S. producer is sitting in one of the best cash positions that they potentially ever have. Um, if not num- number one, they're probably number two, number three. Bins were empty going into the end of the year. Given the river situation and what happened in the last couple weeks, I'm going to get into the weeds here a little bit, but your commercial elevator that is typically buying soybeans from the farmer, straight delivery to town, stuff that's not going to a processor, those beans bought by the commercial elevator got a really good chance to roll their book out into a carry out into January, February, March, April, May, because the spread collapsed when the river became a problem. There is a real potential that some of these commercial beans, if a commercial has space, that they're off limits. They are actually able to acquire a soybean and put it in the elevator and get it rolled at a carry and have a good cash carry and make money for beans in a carry market instead of the inverter market they've had for to the, fight for several years. Yeah, now. for the first time in a long time. So that potentially, I'm not willing to say that that's a slam dunk uh, possibility, but it ain't going to hurt anything. Uh, that is going to put all the more pressure again on basis in the nearby to be high enough, whatever that value needs to be, to get grain to move. And quite frankly, your crush margin for the next 60 days, there's a, there's a contract on the board called your board crush. Uh, I'm not exactly sure where it closed on Friday. I know on Thursday when I looked, it was still over two bucks. That's a big, big number. So do not be surprised that I, I, I mean, I'm maybe going on a little bit of a trigger, Chris, but I think that before the end of the year, there's a real possibility we could be talking about closer 
maybe not as high as, but closer to a dollar over bean basis uh, in the interior processor market of Iowa, Nebraska, and Illinois, Indiana, uh, maybe to a certain extent uh, parts of Minnesota and South Dakota as well. Hmm. Interesting. A lot of stuff to keep an eye on, and I think there's <clears throat> a lot of farmers that put some more beans in the bin than normal as well, and I think rolled, you know, rolled to uh, January, May, whatever, <clears throat> thinking kind of what you're talking. Let's go to corn for a minute. Um, that's going to extend out further, but kind of a similar story, or it sort of rhymes, I guess, a little bit with soybeans because you've got those, you know, you talked about those areas where um, the corn's got to move to. Um, what's the strategy for the typical producer that you think is um, things to think about? Because it is a little different for everybody, but on the same token, it's kind of the same too because you've got, um, you know, the farmers that, that have, that are sitting on a lot, they got probably more production than they got space for right now. So they got to make some fairly recent, you know, fairly good decisions here soon and then you got some of these other guys that are sitting there they got plenty of space and they can deliver or they can roll what are some strategies that on the corn side well let's start with the individual that is not going to have enough space and let's make the assumption that that's on the heels of a average to above average crop if you haven't started corn harvest yet uh I guess this isn't pointed at you, but to keep in mind, if you have started corn harvest and you are in an inverted cash market area and you are choosing to put that corn in the bin and take corn to town later, shame on you. Just why? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> there has been so many good deals in the last couple weeks to provide the producer the ability to get a jump start on corn harvest, basis strong enough uh, in an inverted market, maybe even some drying discount schedules to get that first chunk of corn moved. Three weeks ago, I was a little concerned, Chris, with the producers we work with, that we were not going to be able to move the same amount of volume early harvest as what we've been accustomed to the last couple years whether it be the core not drying down as fast or some other issues, that opportunity presented itself again. And in the last seven days, it became a really, really good win. Being able to move a significant chunk of grain again, sometimes right out of the field at big elevated premiums, knowing that we're not going to have to fight a poor basis or long lines, whatever it may be we're going to be able to harvest and do what the market tells us to do instead of being forced to do what we have to do. So again, if you put bushels in the bin and you don't, um, and you're not going to have space towards the end of harvest and you have an inverted cash market, again, just, just why you got to think mm -hmm. about that and you can still move it for the individuals with the shorter crop. Here's where you get into a little bit of a crop insurance conversation. Pretty easy. Crop insurance only covers you on the board price. <clears throat> if you are in a positive basis area, even if it's not for out of the field right now, but for post-harvest, you have to keep in mind that your overall revenue, the government's looking at your yield and board price. 
your own dollars is the combination of what the government's looking at and positive basis, especially considering where we started the year versus where we are now on basis. So I think the guys with a shorter crop, Chris, it's almost as simple as making sure you're looking at what that revenue is today as we make our way through the October insurance averaging period. I apologize. I do not know what that average is. I'm going to take a wild guess that it ain't very far off from 695. I think it was like 689 or something like that. I don't, or know. I don't know either. the average of October so far? I think so. I don't know. That, that might be the case. I mean, 690 to 695, I uh, just have not looked at that. Um, but just making sure you're taking a glance at what the overall revenue is looking to pencil out to be at the end of the month. I don't know if the big premium basis conversation is as much of a risk or a need for urgency for the farmer with the shorter crop. Sounds like I'm contradicting myself there a little bit, Chris, but I think that those producers have the ability of being patient for a moment, and that's kind of based upon my belief that we will see really, really good basis opportunities in December and January. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's a, a deal with a shorter crop that Thanksgiving time frame or a week before Thanksgiving, basically a month from now, producer at that point needs to have a plan for a chunk of corn to move. Yeah. And like I've said with you multiple times, the plan with the producers I work with is we will have the overwhelming majority of all crop moved before we ever get on the planet. Mm-hmm. And the entire purpose there is a, we know it's profitable. B I want to cut down as much interest exposure for 2023 as I possibly can. Right. <laughs> is it going to happen for every farm? Probably not. But from a 30,000 foot view, I view it as, can I get through first half rents without having to have any operating money borrowed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's... That's a tremendous <clears throat> cost saver for next year. Yeah, and that's an important piece. I, I have a, um, a tool inside Profit Manager where we look at, you know, everybody always talks about the, the carry in the market. I always look at the cost of carry in the market. In other words, how, much is, how many dollars do you have tucked away in the bin? And if you could see that, in terms of dollars and cents in front of you, it gives you a completely different perspective. If you've got anything borrowed and then, you know, in the last few years, it's kind of, it's kind of been, uh, it's been poo-pooed a little bit because rates were so low, but now that rates get higher, it's, you start looking at that thing up around, you know, five, six, seven percent on a line of credit. Um, the cost of carrying that grain starts to get pretty darn expensive. Absolutely. So interesting. So, um, Talk a little bit, let's, you know, we've kind of, you know, hit basis and some strategies for 22 and some things that, that people need to be thinking about. And, and I think we'll expand on this. I, I might grab you back here again here in a couple of weeks, you know, maybe we'll skip a week and then get you back here. And we'll talk about some more strategies on basis as we get toward the latter part of corn harvest. But, but for right now, as we wrap up, let's um, hit 23 for a minute and, um, what are you doing with 23? What's your thoughts there? Um, there's still some pretty good opportunities out there. A lot of people are starting to apply fertilizer. They're paying for some stuff. Um, what, what's the strategy there? What are you thinking? It would be awfully nice to be closer to six and a half on the board price, pertinent to corn. I mean, this, let me just preface, yeah. this, preface it this way. 
I'm not even going to waste my breath talking about beans for 2023 because that's very case by case. And at the end of the day, they still have to yield. Right. And it's happening again this year. If you don't have yield, you're not making money. Right. If you have yield, you're making money. And I don't care if beans are 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. It doesn't matter. You got to have yield. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right now the ratio for next year's corn and beans, I'm going to make an assumption that I, I would, I would love to know a listener of yours, a, a acquaintance of yours, Chris, across the heart of the corn belt, Nebraska, Iowa, Minnesota, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio. I would love to have one single producer be able to show me how a projected yield or APHs on their soybeans for 2023 actually <clears throat> provide a better return than corn for 2023. The only ones I see there, I'll, I'll jump in there, are because I'm the same way, but I have a few in Illinois and a couple other areas where, you know, they're growing seed beans, they're growing, you know, high lake or whatever, and they yield. It's what you said is one hundred percent right. If you don't yield, you're screwed on the soybean side of the equation, um, because the corn just generates revenue, and some of these high rents are going to almost dictate you're going to have to go to corn just for the volume of dollars you're going to need. You know to to manage that. I'll shut up for a minute. Sorry to interrupt, but had to no, say you're, you're, I'm glad you bring that up because last spring when we were talking, it was the a guaranteed insurance corn crop at the spring price that we had in February of 590. So APH times your coverage level times 590 provided the same return on top that an APH bean crop would. That's wow. how whacked wow. out that ratio was. Yeah. And I think that that's the direction we're moving towards again because yeah, you got a lot of dependency on South America, Brazil, growing a big bean crop. And that dependency is going to stick around here for a while. If you have a weather scare there, watch out. Beans could go a couple bucks in a hurry. There's no doubt about that. You don't have an issue there. Maybe it's just a slow, steady grind lower. But what you have is still a strong demand for corn and wheat especially mm-hmm. corn, <clears throat> and we're going to have to grow enough acres in the U.S. next year. I thought that after the Ukraine-Russia um, situation started, you know, or before, I should say, I thought there was a chance that the U.S. could produce enough corn specifically to get us out of a hole that we were in, but the belief that, you know, it's going to probably take two years of production. Now, I think that conversation is coming back around again. Can we produce enough corn in 2023 to dig ourselves out of the hole that we're in right now? My first gut reaction is no, we can't. But if we're honest with ourselves, there's real potential again that acres could be high. You have to have weather straightened up. I'm not diminishing the fact that you have a significant shortfall of moisture throughout a lot of the U.S. corn belt. You have to fix that. But the combination of price, the need for the product, I I, I don't like the old phrase, Chris, that U.S. farmers love to plant corn. I hate that, too. truth to it. It is. I I just, all I want to point out is you always run the risk of planting 
just a little too much. I don't know what that little too much is. Too many acres with a good yield and something else changes in the background, whether it be a demand situation, whether it be China, Ukraine, Russia, recession. It's, it's getting to that time of the year again where we have to take a glance 12, 14, 16 months out and say, what risk am I willing to take and what risk should I not take? Right. And if I've got my fertilizer locked up and I'm putting this fertilizer on and I've got some land prices uh, established, you know, quite frankly, 75, 80%, maybe even a little bit more than that of next year's expenses are somewhat known now. Not going to have a lot of wiggle room. Mm-hmm. So with all that said, back to producers we work with, you know, we were, were scale up sellers during the entire debacle of, um, at the beginning of the debacle between Russia and Ukraine. And we had sales starting at 550 and had some fill all the way up at 670. A heck of a range all in a 30 day period. Next year's corn right now is 620 to 630. I think from a 30,000 foot view, most farms should be, I think there's a realistic scenario to be 25 to 30% forward sold on next year's production, probably in just like some type of an ACA or a hedge, maybe a little bit of cash bushels. But then on the backside, also having some type of an old fashioned risk reversal. This is where obviously I'm not a broker, Chris, unfortunately in the legal world that we live in, got to tell everybody that this is not a, suggestion, right? But explaining what a strategy can do. Right. If you would go buy a put at a $6 floor and sell a call at a $7 ceiling, and you could maybe look at throwing in, if you're a producer carrying margin protection, selling a put down below six bucks. What I'm getting at is you have an option strategy at your fingertips it still costs you a little bit of money. Yeah, you got a margin position unless you can do it with a grain company. But all of a sudden, you got 25% of your crop price. You got 25% of your crop with a floor and a ceiling almost uh, 70 some cents higher. 70 cents higher, 200 bushel corn, $140 an acre. Hard to complain about that and still having the other half of the crop to market. I don't know if it needs to get that much more difficult than that, Chris. Uh, I have the intent of putting uh, that strategy in place um, for sure before Thanksgiving. Um, but ideally, it would be nice to be closer to six and a half before pull the trigger on those moves. And I think if we get if we're going to get to six and a half December twenty three corn anytime soon, that's going to require December twenty two corn going up and filling that gap at seven twenty four seven twenty six. Mm-hmm. But again, pertinent <clears throat> comment of all that not to get lost in the weeds is a strategy. I have a set price on a chunk of my crop. I can put a floor in on a chunk of my crop with a max price and I can stop there. And if you have margin protection in place as well, you really can put that on and focus on going and farming and revisit your marketing in the spring and the summer and then after harvest next year. Yeah. Oh, that's all really good advice. I want to, as we wrap up here, I want to say, um, something about 23 and get your take on this. But, you know, one thing I think that as farmers we do, especially when we're busy, is we're thinking, 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 and a lot of that stuff's in our head. And I think it's important that we kind of, I'm a list maker, but 
if you sit down and, and literally when you start thinking about 23, I have a, like a kind of a to-do list in my own operation where it's like, okay, um, you know, grab a piece of paper, literally write out one, two, three, four, five, six. My number one is determine the crop plan for next year. And it's amazing how many people think they have it in their mind, but they haven't sat down and said, by farm, this is what's going to get planted there and why. So sit down and determine the crop plan. Number two is is to calculate and estimate the production on each of those farms so that you can get to a real production level. Because if you're going to switch to more corn acres or more bean acres or whatever direction or more wheat, whatever it is, how do you sell 10% of something you don't know what the percent is? You know, that drives me nuts when people are like, well, I'm, gonna, I'm sold well, of what production, you know? And so get that's number two. Number three is <laughs> estimate your cost of production. Okay. Hey. Hey, Chris, let Go me ahead. add one piece in there real quick. Yeah. If you plan on farming next year, that means you're going to have insurance too. And you already yeah. know what the APH is of that crop are. Yeah, exactly. And you so, can find that out now. Right. Yeah. And, and oh, that's... Sorry, I interrupted you. No, I, three. I, I love it. That, that's great. And then number three is estimate the, the cost of production. You know, we have about 70% of expenses that are known. And there's some land rents that are not settled yet. And there's some equipment trades and some stuff going on, but that it's a high percentage of known, you know, as we look at the 23 cost of production on some of our guys right now that are really good at sending us, here's where we're at. That's, you can get that calculated pretty darn close. Number four is determine the margin that you want. What makes you happy? What is going to be a sufficient margin for your business to make you profitable? Um, just determine that, you know, I'm not saying make sales or whatever. I'm just saying what margin would you, could you live with that you're going to make money, build working capital, have a, a successful 2023. Number five is pay attention to the macroeconomics. So in other words, don't just look at yourself, but, you know, look around, pay attention. Uh, and then the last one, number six, is put some targets in. Because whatever happens, it's like you said, you know, if we get to that 650, well, then put some targets in because a lot of times that – you got about 10 seconds to make that sale. Um, that happened last week here. There was a basis push that, <clears throat> that went up to 50 cents, and it lasted about 10 minutes. And if you weren't on the phone or you weren't there or you didn't have a target in and say, hey, if you get to 50 cents over, I'll do it or, you know, or have, have those targets because they don't last long. And so I guess all I'm saying is, is, is list that one through six, write that stuff out, and then have the answers to those those questions any other things i'm missing or that i should have added to that list no i i can't agree more chris i, I think those are all very very pertinent the only piece i would add to one of your comments of what margin do i want I, i'm always i sound like dr phil and i apologize <laughs> i joke with my clients all the time i'm not trying to dr phil here yet but i want to just paint a reality a picture your average listener has a great cash position today, has built a lot of working capital, a lot of equity over the last five years from a numerous different pieces, from big crops, from government programs, and from high prices, and maybe, again, big crops. End of the day, though, things are going in a good direction. Can you ever remember, Chris, on your farm, let alone anybody before that you would have worked with, how many guys could you tell me 100% confidence that made money 10 years in a row on the farm? 
uh, actually made money at the end of the year. Not the old tax zero. game. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't happen. Right. And I I just look right now at what if our 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 mythology for 2023 has a dose of defense a prevent defense football term. I've, I've built the lead. What can I do to protect that lead and keep some of it? Because right now I, I do look at the next two years and seeing projected income statements and balance sheets going into the beginning of next year. It's almost like that's, that's the mindset that we ought to have at the moment. Right. Just playing enough defense to keep that going in the right direction, but knowing that you still have a lot of opportunity to capitalize if things get bigger and better. I think it is just as simple as that. And I maybe said this before, um, but I'm going to say it again. You think about the dollars that the average farmer are spending. Imagine they are the CEO of a company, which they are, but they have a board of investors to report to. And if they're looking in the environment and volatility that we have seen in the last 18 months in agriculture, and they're looking at it for most individuals, a very, very good 2022 year, and they're looking at projections in 2023, if they have the ability to take off half of their risk at, say, a 20% return on margin at the big expenses that we have today, I'm pretty sure that CEO would get fired if they didn't do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's not, that's, that's simple business management. Yep. Well, being aware of my surroundings of how crazy things are and when is enough enough for the moment. If I've put myself in a really good position and right now, what I need to do is make sure I'm keeping that. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's where the last thing I want to see, the last thing you want to see, the last conversation you want to have in the next 24 months, is now what do I do? Because I spent all this money. I didn't keep money that I earned, and I'm going backwards now. Mm-hmm. How do I stop the bleeding? Mm-hmm. I don't want to have that conversation anytime soon. I know it's going to come. And I joke with my wife that maybe this little run will stick around long enough that, <laughs> wishful thinking here, but 10, 15 years down the road, maybe I never have to have that conversation about how do you mitigate your loss. Right. Yeah, it's, that's a pretty special conversation to be able to have right now in 2023. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just being proactive, right? It's it, I like your your uh, analogy of the the defense and protect the position, protect that lead. Um, All you, you want know. is a W. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and I think there'd be some counter argument to that from some that are you know it's that you know, well, let's run the score up, you know, let's, let's, let's leave the game, you know, as, as big a winner as we can be or whatever. But on the same token, um, you know, you can lose the game too really fast uh, by, by exposing yourself and putting yourself out there too far. And, and uh, so I think, I think those are really good well, analogies. Here you go. Well, one more football analogy then, Chris. If an individual wants to think about it that way, I'll just have fun with the comment of, all right. Let's, uh, let's try to build a lead in the first half. And then in quarter three and quarter four, you can be as aggressive as you want. But you know that you have protected yourself enough that if you make a mistake on the aggression, that it's not going to take you reeling backwards. Right. Yeah. 
And that's kind of back to all those margin protection conversations. I'm, I'm pumped about 2023, Chris. The oh, more yeah. and more I've talked about margin protection, and again, it's never too late to understand a program, even if you didn't use it this year. Um, it, the floor that we have in place for next year is something that I've never experienced, and I don't know if we'll ever get it experienced again. And when I talk a floor, I'm talking about margin opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, knowing that exactly. if I have, if I become a five dollar cash corn next year, and I got half my crop protected above six, those producers are likely to be several, several hundred dollars an acre better than the producers without margin protection. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to wish ill will on anybody, but we know there is still a competitive landscape to agriculture. And if I got producers that want to grow and that's in their growth plans and goals, you know, one can be a little wishful in the silo of a single year. I'm not rooting for lower prices. Don't get me wrong. But when I'm looking for that competitive advantage, you know, a secret that guys with margin protection on the 22 crop, some of them it's going to save their bacon and you're going to have five, $600 an acre swing from a farm on the east side of the road versus a farm on the west side of the road. Oh, yeah. Not from yield volatility, but I'm talking the actual farmer. Right, right. Yep, it's, it's, uh, we, we're in a, in kind of a boom time just to steal, uh, some words from Joe Vaklovic, but, you know, there's boom and bust and, and, you know, it might not be 23, it might not be 24, it might not be 25, you know, but it will happen. You know, it's not a matter of if when things change. And, um, I, Back to I really like that defense um, comment and and I also think those six things that we talked about I mean literally I, I'm I'm imploring people if you haven't sat down and really you know calculated some of those things and you know asked yourself those questions and make sure you get all that stuff out in front of you then you can make some decent decisions so um, that's all I got um, anything anything else to wrap up No I'd just say the most important thing is everybody please be safe. Yep. yep. Already some very bad accidents out there. Unfortunately, a lot of combine fires with how dry it is. Yeah. I, uh, last night, uh, brought a piece of equipment in the shop late and spent a couple hours washing it just because that's the last thing I knew was going to be around a bunch of CRP today. Last thing we want to do yeah. is, uh, start a fire that burns up a thousand acres in the county. Yeah. Yep. And your point of being safe, I think, is huge. I know there's already been some, some farm losses and it just, it, it, it's just super tough. I mean, everybody just needs to really be safe, need to get your rest. Um, you know, it's like you said, you had a late night, I had a late night the last several nights myself too. And it's like, you know, at some point you just got to shut stuff off. The weather's been so good that, you know, just turn stuff off and go sleep for a few extra hours. It, it's, uh, it's well worth it. Chris, maybe your listeners have tuned out to us by now, but I got one question for you, just kind of a, something I think people might find a little interesting. Are you seeing or hearing from anybody that the dry down in corn is, for lack of better words, odd this year? Yeah, it's really variable. Be- in my case. Yeah, I, if, if I didn't know better, if I hadn't been a combine operator for a lot of years, and now I pretty much primarily am at the dryer all the time, and I get a load in that's 27%, and then I get one that's 23, and then I get one that's 25, then I get one that's 22, then I get one that's 29. Uh, yeah, it's been kind of really variable, at least in our area. And, and then a lot of the people that have the really good yields, I'm hearing really, you know, kind of wet corn, 
crops are wet, slow to dry down in the areas where the, the have not areas, stuff's really dry. So it's, you know, um, you, you take the good with the bad, you know, if you're in an area where you got really good yields, you're probably dealing with higher moistures and stuff. And that's kind of the case we're in right now. I'm a little concerned that some of these higher moisture areas, it's going to be a slow harvest. It is. And there's going to be some January corn pick. Yep. And could be. not January, excuse me. Not Hopefully not January, December corn pick. Well, and uh, then there could be January. <laughs> Depends on the weather, yeah, you know. Depends on the weather. And I think uh, <clears throat> that's one more piece to, to add fuel to the fire in the cash corn market. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Hey, I think we probably went long enough. Um, again, everybody, uh, remember, if you haven't signed up for the AgView Executive Business Conference, Jared will be there in person, um, opportunities to talk to a lot of the presenters and stuff. And, Jared, this was a great conversation. Really appreciate your time. Absolutely, as always. Thanks for the invitation, Chris. You bet. Great conversation. We'll get you back here in a couple of weeks, and we'll, we'll hammer on this basis thing on corn a little more, too. So thanks a lot, uh, Jared, and thanks to everybody for listening. And we will catch you again next time on the Ag View Pitch. <laughs>